0: grateful that you're carving out time uh, to gather with us around God's word. When I want to bring you to Romans chapter 12 this morning. So if you got your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open them up, uh, maybe turn them on. Uh, join me as we read uh, this passage of scripture together. Romans chapter 12 verse 1, it says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, church, let's bow our heads and our hearts for prayer. Father, we love you. And God, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful, God, for your word that encourages us and strengthens us, your word that challenges us. And God, I pray in the next few moments, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would would have a moment where where you speak to us deep unto deep. And God, that you would take this time and you would move us closer towards you. Holy Spirit, invade this moment, doing only what you can do. Lord, we, we step back and get out of the way and we would say, have your way in this place. We would put our hands even on our chest and we would say, have your way in this place. Jesus, we love you and we honor you. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, If I'm honest with you, I I have been uh, waiting uh, to get to chapter 12 uh, in Romans. Uh, We all, uh, most of us have have read this. We know this. We have seen the Christian t-shirts. We have done all of those sorts of things. Um, But what I love is now as we're moving into chapter 12, We're getting to a familiar passage. It now fits for me. I hope you're feeling this as well. It's fitting differently because of all we've read to this place. We know now what Paul has in mind. Paul's not just talking about unity, not just talking about justification and sanctification, not just talking about the depravity of man, not just talking about the wrath of God, not talking about our need for grace and God's wonderful mercy that he bestows on us. Now Paul's getting into a place where he begins to talk to us about how do we live this out well? How do we practice the way of Jesus? What does it look like for us to follow God with our mind, with our heart, with our soul? He's talked about this sort of tension between spirit and flesh. We know that is the desire to do good and the things of God and then also our desire to pull away from that. We also know that it is this sort of tug of war over your soul and mind, that there is the spirit that cries out to us and brings us into the family of God as children of God. And then there is also this force, the evil one, that begins to sort of pull us away. The Bible says to steal, kill, and destroy. This is what the enemy of your soul and mind desires to do. So in the midst of that, we're now living unto God. We are called to worship. We are called to be a worshiping community. We're called to be a community that is distinct. And now Paul begins to lay down what that looks like. And I want us to read chapter 12 with what we read last week fully in mind. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory and honor forever. And now Paul dives into this appeal to us by the mercies of God. The same mercies that are rescuing us are now the same mercies that will enable us to live our lives unto Christ as living sacrifices. This is what God has called us to do. Oftentimes we have a familiarity with the passage of scripture and we might move over some of the language just because it is so well rehearsed in our life. And so what I want to do is I want to offer this passage to you once again, but I want to read it from a different translation. If you spend much time around me, you're going to hear me use the name and say the name Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is a brilliant scholar, was a brilliant scholar, author. I consider him a friend just because I've read so many of his books. Um, I, I love the way in which he talks about pastoral life. I love the way in which he talks about um, us living our lives unto God. I love the way in which he talks about the scriptures. And he worked through for a number of years, a, a sort of a paraphrase, a, an idea for idea, thought for thought, translation of the scriptures in language that is accessible, language that's familiar. It's faithful to the text because of the work with the languages that was done. And it allows us to get really an idea to the heart of the scriptures, what God what God is saying. And so I want us to listen and and hear his offering of Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, to get a sense of what God's calling us to do in this text. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and then quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I love some of the language that we wrestle with there. I love some of the language that he offers, this idea of not becoming so well-adjusted to our culture that we fit into it without even recognizing it. But the first thing he says that I want us to really grab hold of and think about, if you're taking notes, I want you to write it down simply this way, that your entire life, underline that word entire, is worship. The thinking that there are parts of your life that are, that are worship and parts that they are not allows us to live with a, a duplicity in us. It allows us to live one way in one area and another way in another area. Some of you, it is very, very comfortable for you to come to God's house, to gather in God's, uh, around God's people and, and feel joy and a sense of happiness. And you can lean into the scriptures. You find yourself loving the times of worship. You, you love serving. You love all of those things when you are around God's people and you're connected to God's house. But when you get in your job environment, it's almost as if you've embraced this notion that there are certain ways in which I have to conduct my life to be successful here and so you allow yourself to slide into a different type of living one way you may be honoring God and you almost want to like feel as if you can turn that off so that you could be successful or, or be successful excuse me in other spaces of your life. And I just wanna say this to you if you find yourself living that way, this verse is absolutely for you. Your entire life. The parts that you feel are overtly sacred, yes, they are. But the part that feels like there's no way in the world this could even matter to God, to the parents that have young kids right now. And maybe you find yourself as the primary caretaker of those kids where the majority of your day, it feels as if you are not wiping a nose, then you're wiping a butt. And you feel like for a moment, how in the world is this sacred? Or maybe for you, you find yourself kind of launching a business endeavor and there's nothing around it that feels like it's connected to the kingdom of God. You're just showing up and you're providing a service or you're showing showing up and you're providing a product that's helping people, listen to me, but it doesn't feel like it's sacred. I just wanna say this to you, what God desires from us is that we would offer all of these things, the wiping, the noses, the trying to be successful in industry, maybe the way in which we're educating our kids. Maybe for you, it's the way in which you listen empathetically on your job to the people around you. Maybe you are in the mental health field and you are sitting there and you're hearing the weight of the world that is upon their shoulders. And you understand it is not your job to remove it. It's not your job to accept it or receive it, but it's your job to be there as a listening ear, just as Christ would. You see, there's this sort of calling that God has on each of our lives where we would begin to see our lives as opportunities to be representatives, ambassadors of the kingdom of God. But even to go one step further and to do it as Christ would and do it as unto Christ and also recognizing that that is a place and which I could begin to encounter God in a deeply spiritual and significant way, even when the work seems mundane. I remember reading a book called Practicing the Presence of God a number of years ago, and it talked about this guy named Brother Lawrence, and what Brother Lawrence would do is he would serve, and as he was serving, he began to realize that as he was working in the kitchen, if he could encounter God in the kitchen— a place in his structure that did not seem sacred. But if he could encounter God in the kitchen, he found that it was so much easier to encounter God in the sanctuary as well. And so what if our lives could be enriched? What if our worship could be enriched? Because we were worshiping in other spaces and places before we ever gathered together. We weren't waiting for something to feel and be earmarked as, oh, this is sacred. Oh, now I can connect with God. But we began to look and see the entirety of our, of our experience and our existence as an opportunity to engage with God, that all of this is to be a sacrifice unto God. It's not two-thirds of our life. It's not a portion, but it is all. I love the way Peterson said that. He said, I want you to get your, your waking up, you're walking around, you're eating, you're sleeping. As I read that passage, you know what it reminds me of. It reminds me in Deuteronomy chapter six, where Moses is providing for the people this framework of prayer. And the Jewish people would call this prayer the Shema. It would be the sort of central prayer that they would pray. It would be what Jesus rehearses to his disciples as love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, and then your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Moses. And so when Moses offers this to the people of Israel, here's what he says to them. He says, yes, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. But he then begins to tell them, he says, I want you to impress this upon your families, upon your children. He says, I want you to do this in the mornings when they wake up. I want you to do this as they're walking along. I want you to do this in the evening. Some rabbis would even say this, that if you were sharing a meal with someone and you were not, you were not talking about the scriptures, then you are missing an opportunity to commune with them and also to commune with God. And so hear me on this. We were called, just are, we are called, just as Moses called the children of Israel, to offer your entire life as worship. The walking, the sleeping, the eating, the pillowing your head at night, and everything in between. There's not parts of that that God wants and then he's tossing out the rest god's asking for all of your life what what parts of your life right now have you been holding back holding back either because it was too it was too uncomfortable for you to try to worship god in that place or you were holding it back because maybe it was uncomfortable for you to to make your entire life congruent. It was easier for you to have kind of a split down the middle. I do this here and this fits in this box and this here and this fits in this box. Because listen to me and I want to prepare you for this. Asking some of these questions may produce massive change and adjustment in your life because you and I live in a culture that is completely fine with compartmentalizing things but the scriptures do not offer us that freedom. The freedom that the scriptures offer us and invite us into is a radical reorientation of our entire lives unto Christ. Not a portion, but all. And so here's where I don't want you to be discouraged. You say, Charlie, I've been serving God for a little bit. I don't think I've got it. I'm not all the way there. Perfect, you're on the way. You're on the way. You're not where you were but you're not where God also wants you to be or where he's called you to be. You're progressing towards that, Begin to make decisions. Because for us, there's not this sense where where part of us is being offered. I'm not offering God part of me. I'm offering God all of me. True worship is the offering of God's, offering to God one's body, one's soul, one's mind, one's strength, and what they do with that every day real worship what we're called to our entire life is worship and it is called to be part of our everyday spirituality second thing i want you to write down is simply this that conformity is easier than you and i realize conforming to the patterns conforming to the culture around us is easier than we realize answer these two questions what forms you the most And who forms you the most? What in your life life right now is forming you the most? What's shaping your identity? What's giving you your, your sense of self? What is that? Who is that? Identify those voices. And I want to come back to this. Where does scripture play in that? Where does God play in that? Where's the Holy Spirit in that? Where's the people of God in that? Your identity, my identity, cannot be formed in God if it is being informed only by people. But the way in which we are formed in the image of Christ is allowing the scriptures to mold and shape us and the Holy Spirit to revive us and then the community of God to champion us along the way. So we think about transforming, the transformation that we're called to. What Paul talks about there is we're to be transformed in our mind. There's this idea that our mind can no longer be the way that it was, but there has to be a shift. There has to be a reorientation. And so here's, here's some of the, the way in which we think about transformation of the mind. Conformity happens easier than we think. Transformation begins in our mind. And here's four things I want you to write down that we need to think about what we think about. I want you to think about what you think about. The second thing I want you to do is no autopilot. So I want you to think about what you're thinking about, meaning I want you to take time to consider your thoughts, your actions, but most importantly, the motivations. What's going on in your inner life? What's going on behind the scenes? Maybe you can't even get to a place where you can put words to it or you're comfortable to get words to it, but you know, find a way to process that. Maybe it's a journal. Maybe there's a sense where you're able to get that out. And right now, some of you are like, oh, journaling, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying this to you, listen to me. If you want to be formed and transformed into the image of Christ and you wanna see this sort of lived out in your life then creating margin for reflection is not just something that's for some and not for others, but this is what we all should be doing. I'll give you a great example. It's the person of David in the Old Testament. You see, what we get the privilege to do is to read some of David's journal entries. I don't think David is sitting down going, hey, you know what I'm do today? I think I'm going to write Psalm 23. And I think I'm going to write this. And I think they're going to use this for a long time. I, I I just got a feeling. I'm feeling it today. I'm writing a hit. That's not at all what happens. David is processing his emotions. David's processing his, his heart and his mind, his experiences, what's going on. Listen, there's moments where you read David and you go, man, I it seems to me that David's dealing with depression, that David's dealing with anxiety, that David's dealing with a lot of the same emotions that we do. This is why in the center of our scriptures, we have the book of Psalms, the collection mostly of David's writing here. It's the prayer book for the church. And I'm just saying to you, if if David, who, who was a warrior, king, poet, can create space in their life to reflect and consider. And I just, I would encourage you to find a way, maybe the medium for you is not kind of a moleskin journal. Maybe the medium for you is a note in your phone, or maybe the medium for you is um, those cool yellow notepads where you can kind of flip that page to the back and it just feels awesome, light blue lines on the sheet. Maybe, that, maybe that's your deal. Maybe for you, it's something oh, listen to me, the medium doesn't matter nearly as 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 what you do with it, but I just want to encourage you to get some space and think about what you're thinking about. Don't go on autopilot. Meaning this, the great Christian writer Francis de Sales said it this way: that the idle mind is the devil's playground. I want us to think through this and not allow our minds just to shift in neutral. If your mind is in neutral, it's easy for you to roll downhill. I want us to constantly discipline and train our minds. When we go to neutral, when we go to autopilot, we're easily to be influenced and conformed by the things around us. This is exactly what Paul is cautioning us against. And number three, I want you to see see this as far as the transformation begins in your mind, that not all of our thoughts are reality. Weigh your thoughts, consider your thoughts but knowing that everything that I think and everything that you think, not everything that we think is reality. And the fourth thing is this, I want you to create new thought patterns. Meaning this, we disarm old thoughts, we speak truth to some of the lies that we might've embraced. Again, it's impossible to do this without creating margin. It's impossible to do this without creating space, where we begin to consider and think about what we're thinking about, staying disciplined, recognizing all of our thoughts aren't reality, and then beginning to assign and think new thoughts. We're infusing our lives with the truth of God's word. Why do we say a lot? Man, we got to get in the scriptures. We got to have the word inside of us. Why? Because the patterns of this world are sending us messages, desiring us for us to co-sign them. And I'm saying to you, don't co-sign culture, co-sign the scriptures. Put the scriptures in your mind, put the scriptures in your heart so that you can begin to renew your mind as Paul talks about here. Paul talks about this idea of being transformed and the way in which he speaks about this is that it is both being transformed by God, that there is a divine sort of initiative that takes place and there is also a personal responsibility that takes place. So listen to me, we're all gonna come to the church and we're also gonna come into worship and we're gonna ask God to move. We're gonna believe God for miracles. We're gonna have faith and we're gonna know that God can do things. But listen, I've seen this over and over in my life. Many times we pray for miracles and God's hand will be extended to us. And what God wants us to do is extend our hand back to his. Meaning that there are times where we have to work out our salvation. There are moments where we have to move and have progress. Transformation isn't going to just happen upon us, but it's something that we take part of as well. The verb transform is only found four times in the New Testament. Twice it's in the gospels referring to Jesus' transfiguration, and then it's twice in Paul's letters. And on both occasion, when Paul uses it, he's talking about the transformation that happens in the believers, meaning this. When Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember what takes place. The disciples are able to see Him for who He really is. He has a moment where His physical body is transformed, and you get to see the glorified Christ in that moment. You remember the disciples are on the mountain, and it's just a man. It's a time. Paul's using that same language when he talks about transforming our minds. So, what if what if Paul's meaning for us? to transform our minds in such a way that that the who we really are, who God has called us to be, destined us to be, ordained us to be, is actually able to be seen even when what other people have seen has been a shell. What if the transformation of your mind and mine is us beginning to actually live how God designed us and called us to be? The patterns of this world are going to break us down if we continue to follow them. I remember being young, and there was a mural on a, on a certain road in Orlando where I grew up, and that that mural was really of this passage of scripture. It was brightly colored. There were schools of fish going one direction, and then there was one lone fish going the opposite direction. And, and above it was like, man, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, like go against the flow was like the, the bottom sort of like tagline. And listen to me. I think the message of that is wonderful. Man, if culture's going this way, man, we're probably not going to be going with culture. We're going to kind of go this way. Do you know what subliminally that mural put in my heart that I was all by myself? that there was a nobody with me, nobody champion. that it was me and Jesus just going against the culture. And can I say this to you? When I look around, you know what I love about our city, that there are incredible churches everywhere with people loving God, serving God, desiring to make a difference in this area for the kingdom and for the good of, of, of God. Like, we're not alone. But what we have to be committed to is the transformation that takes place in us so that we can go in a new direction and invite others to come with us. There's some language here in this text I want us to grab hold of because I think it's incredibly important and I think it's going to be helpful for you. It's certainly helpful for me. At the end of verse two, it says you want to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, the renewing of your mind, that by testing, you may discern What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? If there's any question that I have heard over the balance of my ministry life, 1998 was the first year I was in ministry working with um, students. I I love that time. But since 1998, I've been in ministry, been meeting, talking with people, preaching. Like I, I have over and over gotten this question. And it's, and it's phrased differently and it's offered in different packages, but at the core of it, here's the question, and it seems to be consistent across generational lines. It's about discerning and discovering the will of God for their life. The will of God is this thing, if we're not careful, we talk about it as if it is in a locked safe and there's a combination and there's no way we can get into it. And we're just frustrated, kind of outside, trying to figure out how do we break in to figure and crack the code of the will of God. It feels elusive. And let me just be honest. I think there are probably examples, great examples, maybe in your life where people have had spiritual positions or maybe some spiritual authority in your life. And they have used that position to make the will of God seem like it was elusive. Or if they had kind of like a special sort of key they could get you in almost to where there was a have and a have not. And, and I just wanna say, if that's if that has been your story, that gets to end right here, right now, today. Man, I've even had people in my life from time to time, well-meaning, but would offer phrases or would offer something. And, and now when I look back on them, I go, man, I, I don't know if that phrase was helpful because it almost felt as if it was making me depend upon them to help me find this. And that's not at all what, Paul wants to do for his readers. That's not what we want to do for our church. We want to get you to a place where you're strong and you're able to move in the things of God on your own. You're not dependent on, there's not a codependency that we're trying to create here in the body of Christ. What we want is to understand that the will of God, look at what it says. It says that by testing, trying, kicking the tires on this thing, The testing leads you to discernment, meaning this, it reminds us that the will of God is more art than science. It's not a formula. It's not a get it right once or you get it wrong forever. But this sort of testing, this trying, this figuring it out. This, as we walk, the bridge is built beneath our feet. This testing of the will of God. You see where in other places in the scripture, it says, taste and see that the Lord is God, that the Lord is good. It's a taste test. I want you to test it. Testing the will of God leads us to a place of discernment. But when we look in the scripture and we allow the scripture to interpret scripture for us, It's it's impossible for us to have a level of discernment if we have not had transformation in our minds. So maybe you're getting frustrated because you don't know the will of God for your life, but maybe it's because you've been conformed to the pattern of the culture. You've not been renewed and you've not allowed your mind to be transformed. What if the key that unlocks the will of God for your life and my life is a transformed mind? A transformed mind allows us then to discern the will of God. And that will of God that is good, acceptable, and perfect. Be encouraged today, friends. The will of God is not intended to be elusive. The will of God for you and I becomes very, very clear, very, very real, very, very tangible when our mind has been transformed and when our mind has been renewed. You say, Charlie, how do we do we do that? I think there's some questions that we need to ask the question that you and I have to kind of give an account and even audit for, probably confess and even repent, is where have we become too well-adjusted to culture? Where have we become too well-adjusted to culture? What thoughts have you and I accepted that we need to reject? Some of you, you've been allowing the emotional packages that people have sent to your door. You've been signing for packages and receiving packages that you should have rejected and turned back to the sender. That's the funny thing about UPS when they come to my house. If I don't sign for the package, I don't keep it. So some people have been trying to leave some things on your doorstep that you don't need to sign for. You need to reject it. You need to get those thoughts kind of out of the way. And then ask yourselves this question if your life is the sacrifice that you're offering to God. In the Old Testament, there was this idea that they would offer sacrifices, the sacrifice would have been been slain, and that was worship. Now what Paul calls us to, the church of Jesus, calls us to a place that we offer our bodies as sacrifices, living sacrifices. We're not looking for death in us so that we might offer this to God. What God is looking is not dying for him, but living for him. And so I want you to begin to look at your your life. I want you to look at it in the ways that you've compartmentalized it. So maybe for you, it's your family life and it's your work life. Maybe for you, there are some more divisions in there. But I want you to begin just kind of look at those things. Maybe start simple. And say, first off, is there a sense that these are connected? Is there a congruence in them? Or do I have them divided? What would it look like for me to begin to move those things to where they were one? And I begin to see my life in the way that God sees them. So listen, you and I may be very good at compartmentalizing things. God sees our life in totality. So right now, are you offering God two-thirds of a sacrifice? Because listen, all he's wanted all along is for his family to be unbroken around the table and for us to present our bodies, as Paul's saying here, as living sacrifices for our minds and our hearts to be renewed so that we might experience the peace of God and the will of God in our lives. Friends, we love you so much. Grace and peace. Thank you, church, so much again for tuning in uh, with us. I just pray that you were uh, really encouraged by that message, maybe even challenged uh, as well. And as always, we just want to be a church that walks alongside you. So uh, maybe it's something going on in your life and you just uh, need someone to talk to, maybe a pastor uh, to talk to or just someone to pray with you. Uh, We have a care uh, page right on the website where you can uh, sign up uh, to meet with the pastor or speak with someone and have someone pray with you. Uh, You can find it right on the uh, website. Uh, Again, we just want to be that. church that uh, stands uh, beside you. Uh, So we want you to have a great day. Have a great week uh, as well. Let me pray this benediction uh, over you. Uh, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you and give you and all your relationships great, great peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week. See you next week.